And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 268 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Twitter and Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, Great to be back with you folks this week. A lot to get to today. Gonna try to keep this intro as brief as possible because there's a lot, a uh, lot of stuff, a lot of Patriots, Red Sox, you know, Bruins and Celtics. We've been paying attention to the news over the last week. A lot of stuff uh, to get to. Uh, before we do that, though, I do want to uh, say thanks to uh, Evan Greasing for coming back on the program last week. Talked a little bit about the Red Sox and the trade deadline. Kind of just went through some of the options that they have um, as the trade deadline is tomorrow evening. So I uh, can go listen to that if you have not already uh, this week on Guest Friday. As you may have seen, we'll have a returning guest uh, talking about uh, the Patriots as training camp is in full swing and we approach uh, the first preseason game of the season, which is next Thursday. So that will be a good Guest Friday to look forward to and also finally wrote a uh, article from Musket Fire last week, and you can go uh, check that out on my social pages, on my personal social pages um, on Twitter and on Facebook. So I uh, wrote an article. I was pretty happy with how it came out last week, so you can go read that if you would like. So I think uh, it probably makes sense to start there, start with uh, the Patriots and uh, just talk about our... Uh, you know, my initial thoughts about training camp so far. Uh, I actually was lucky enough to go yesterday. May have gotten a, a little sunburned, but that's beside the point. Uh, it was good to get out there yesterday. Um, just kind of going to go through some things that I noticed yesterday. You know, I think my thoughts were, I think what a lot of people thought, that the offense was um, a lot smoother yesterday. And for the first time in training camp, they seemed to, do work outside of uh, the red zone for the first time. So I think that Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi looked pretty clean. You know, Trace McSorley even made some throws too. So I think that it's a good sign that they're moving out of the red zone because that might mean that, okay, they're trying to work on some other things and trying to, you know, work on that progression uh, with the offense. I'm going to spend some more time that this more. Spend some more time on that in a little bit, but just some things that I noticed that stood out to me yesterday. Um, I think the number one thing for me, looking at the offensive line uh, combination and, you know, trying to take a look at who's playing where. So with Michael Wenu still recovering, I think from his offseason ankle surgery, Bill Murray uh, is playing right guard. So, you know, that's interesting because... Not in the sense that I think Murray is going to start, but I think it is interesting that, okay, maybe he's someone that at at one point or another, if there's an injury or what have you in the regular season, does he possibly get looks? Does he get some looks in preseason games? You know, does he get looks with that, you know, first offensive unit or the second unit? So I think that's worth watching um, just kind of to see his progression because he initially was a defensive lineman. So he's kind of made that switch to the offensive line. So I'm kind of curious to see, you know, what his role is going to be going forward in training camp. You know, once a win and returns, where does he go? I also thought um, on the right side, you know, I think a bunch of us, including myself, kind of thought that Riley Reef was going to be that guy manning the right side, um, but it does seem like in the last couple of days, Connor McDermott is kind of been playing with that top offensive line unit, so could indicate that maybe he is, you know, forging ahead in that uh, position battle. So I think, you know, that's a position to watch because I do think Trent Brown has shown up to camp and has been, you know, pretty good. I mean, there's really no 
conversation about him, which, you know, is probably a good thing. You know, Belichick before practice today, they're actually currently practicing right now. But, you know, Bill did comment on, you know, that he looks good. He looks in shape, looks, you know, like his conditioning is in a good, is in a good spot. So, you know, that makes me feel confident that, okay, he's ready to go. You know, he's motivated. So, you know, if that's the case, then it's like really the right tackle spot. And, you know, who's going to forge ahead in that battle. So it does seem like McDermott has that upper hand at the moment. There was a lot of special teams work yesterday. Uh, Chad Ryland doing a lot of field goal kicking. He's pretty accurate. He's got a pretty big leg. I think he was, uh, you know, may not have been the smartest idea uh, for me to sit directly behind the goalposts, uh, but could tell with most of those uh, kicks that Ryland was doing, he was hitting them from a long distance. So I think that's a good sign that he was fairly accurate on his kicks. Um, you know, be curious to see if he handles kickoffs uh, in the preseason or in the regular season. You know, what's the decision on Nick Folk and him? Do the Patriots feel comfortable that Ryland can be the starting kicker? You know, and does Nick Folk get cut? You know, who knows? So that's, you know, definitely a worthwhile battle. You know, another battle in terms of special teams, Patriots did a lot of punting. So, you know, kind of a battle between Bryce Berenger, the Patriots rookie, and Corliss Waitman, who had punted for the Broncos last season. Um, and so it was in camp with the Patriots. So kind of another battle there. You know, Berenger, I think, again, like Ryland, has a really big leg you know, was consistently getting close to five seconds on this hang time, which is pretty good. So, you know, I think good to have some competition with the young guys, but I do <clears throat> kind of expect both of them to win the starting jobs. Um, I just think with <clears throat> how much the Patriots, I think, struggled with you know, the special teams, you know, struggling, getting kicks into the end zone or beyond the end zone, you know, getting consistent punt yardage, I guess. Um, and so I think having guys with bigger legs, you know, obviously you want to make sure that guys are accurate, but I think, you know, look for those two rookies to win those roster spots. It was interesting to see those battles. Um, I also thought kind of going into the offense, there really weren't a lot of like pre-snap issues. Now there were a couple, you know, when the, when the offense got down to, you know, closer to the end zone where I was, a couple times there were some false starts or, you know, miscommunications on snaps. But really, maybe it happened two or three times throughout the entire practice. So it was you know, feeling like, okay, they really have, you know, the structure and really kind of know what they're doing. And I think may not have been the same thing last year that, you know, you saw during the regular season, a lot of pre-snap penalties, a lot of, you know, kind of plays that just went sideways because the communication wasn't where it needed to be. So I think that that's a good sign that they're not a lot of you know, pre-snap issues and mistakes, you know, now you have an experienced offensive coordinator running the offense, and so people expect, you know, have an expectation of what they're supposed to do. So I did think that that was another thing that, that I noticed and I thought was, was interesting. So speaking of the offense, I do think that, you know, yesterday they seemed to have their best day of the week. I think just being able to move the ball and obviously you know, it's going to be a little bit easier to move the ball when you have more space, you know, as opposed to the red zone. But I think, you know, some of the concepts they were working on, you know, make a lot of sense for the particular players that they have, you know, running a lot of wide receiver screens where you have, you know, three receivers bunched close together. You kind of throw a screen to one of the receivers and the other two guys block. So they were doing a lot of that, it seemed like. So, 
you know, I think you might see an offense that's more adaptive to Mac Jones's skill set. So running more, you know, play action and, you know, things like that to really utilize his ability to be accurate. So I do think that, you know, yeah, the offense was going to have some struggles, I guess, in the beginning of camp. Just in the red zone, there's not a lot of space to maneuver. And you also, you know, have a really good and very versatile defense. And so I think that makes it difficult for a lot of offenses to operate in the red zone because you have a defense that has so many guys that are, you know, really good and really versatile in that area. So, you know, I think you want the offense to be as efficient as they can be. But it's hard to expect that three days into camp. You know, the offense is not going to be elite right away. You know, that's not really how it works. I mean, I think the defense in situations like that usually have um, the upper hand. So, you know, I do think that whatever they're installing, the new stuff that they're installing is going to take some time. You know, it's not ideal that this is the third season in a row that you're basically installing a newer offense, but it does seem like the guys are confident in what they're doing. So I think that that's at least a start. So I think that that's good news. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, I think the last couple of days has been really good. Um, And I think, you know, and I may have said this last week, but I think he's a guy that I think A lot of people were, you know, upset that the Patriots lost Jacoby Myers, but I do think that he's going to make a lot of people forget about Jacoby Myers. I think, you know, being as sure-handed as Jacoby, being kind of one of that, one of those go-to guys for Mac Jones, I think it's going to be similar, but I think you're going to see a huge difference in what Juju can do after the catch. You know, a lot of plays Jacoby Myers would make the catch, and then go down, make a catch, you know, not really break a tackle. You know, Juju's a guy that can be explosive after the catch and, you know, turn those five-yard completions into 25-yard gains. Now, it's not to say he's going to do that every time he catches the ball, but I think he's usually one of the better receivers in the league in yards after the catch, and so I think it's just going to make things easier uh, for the offense, so... Really excited to see what he can do the rest of camp and then into the preseason, you know, if he sees a lot of snaps. You know, he's a guy that's been in the league for a bit, you know, I think is a a seasoned guy, so it's not like he really needs the preseason to get going, but he's a guy that I have a lot of confidence in uh, going forward. Um, So Patriot running backs kind of been a topic of conversation over the last two days or so. It was reported that the Patriots had Ezekiel Elliott in for a visit on Saturday. So, you know, I think coupled with Ty Montgomery's, you know, injury in practice, which I think was on Thursday, and so he hasn't been back since, you know, kind of tells you that okay, the Patriots know that this running back group, which is already thin, you know, may need another body. And I think maybe not just a body, but someone who's really talented. So I'm not surprised that they brought in Elliott. I think that he has a skill set that the Patriots really could use, especially in the red zone. He's a guy that, you know, still has plenty left in the tank and is still a, you know, dangerous runner that I think really could provide some, you know, needed spelling of Stevenson because he was a guy that I think got run into the ground last year. And so I think giving you another back that is, you know, just as talented, if not more, really could lighten lighten his load. So, you know, Elliot's really good in the red zone. He's really good at finding the end zone, still can cut and has some great moves. So, He's a guy, I think, if he joins the team, he could get 
a lot of those red zone carries and really give you another added element of, okay, here's a playmaker, a guy that can score from inside the five-yard line. So really would hope that he signs on. I think it would be a really solid move because I think Patriots need it, to be honest. I think, you know, no disrespect to Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, but they're not exactly proven running backs yet. So I think bringing in someone proven like Elliott would make a lot of sense. And, you know, even if Montgomery can come back at some point, you just then have confidence that, okay, we have now a deep group at the running back position where, okay, you have two guys that can basically split as your kind of every down backs, I guess. You can have a pass catcher and then someone waiting in the wings for a larger opportunity. So interesting to see what happens. I mean, I think if the Patriots are going to make a signing, it might be soon. Um, you know, just telling that they had both, I think, Daryl Henderson and Leonard Fournette into uh, in for workouts. So Patriots are looking, absolutely. Uh, I wouldn't rule out Dalvin Cook either. I know he visited with the Jets, and it seems like he might be a, might be an all, but it might all be a done, it might be all but a done deal there, but could be something to pay attention to. Um, I think one last little bit about training camp that kind of wanted to mention, and this is kind of before everyone kind of gets in an uproar over some things that are going on today in particular that might have some people raise an eyebrow. So it sounds like a couple of guys, Judon, Trent Brown, and Ramondre Stevenson, may be limited um, in practice today. And there was something that Judon said the other day when he spoke to the media that he and the trainers are working on, you know, some conditioning stuff. And I think maybe what that means is maybe it means that he's not going to go as hard in training camp as maybe he typically would to maybe conserve his energy for later in the season. Because I think as good as he's been with the Patriots, he's kind of not been the same player toward the end of the season. And so I think that that could be something that the team is trying to do to try to conserve the energy of the most important players, because Judon, I think, is their Patriots' best defensive player. You know, I think Stevenson is probably their best offensive player, and Trent Brown might arguably be their most important player. So I think it could be something along the lines of the Patriots are trying to kind of give these guys, not days off, because that's not the right word to use, but I think kind of focus on their conditioning because Stevenson again was a guy that got ran into the ground last year and so you want to kind of keep him as fresh as you can Trent Brown I think you want to keep him as fresh as you can as well because he's had some injury issues had an illness last year so I think before everyone kind of freaks out about oh my god why are these guys limited it might be a concerted effort by the team to try to kind of take it easy with some of these guys because they are very important players. You know, I think that those three players, you know, if they're at their best and they're healthy, are going to have a huge say in what this team is going to be this season. So I think that that's worth paying attention to. Uh, but if they're, you know, limited in some some practices, may not be a huge concern. Um so I think that's going to do it for the Patriots. We're going to move on, get to the Red Sox. And uh, things, are, things are still very interesting with this team. Um, you know, I think great to see this team getting a couple of big wins against the Atlanta Braves last week. You know, matching up against the best team in baseball and winning both of those games. And I think... Again, proving to us that, okay, this is a team that can play well against good opponents. May not have been necessarily the case this weekend, losing two out of three. But then again, 
you know, you're on the road. All three of these games this weekend were one-run games. You lost uh, one in a walk-off in the bottom of the ninth. Then you lost another in extra innings and another walk-off. So, you know, I think it's certainly frustrating because the Red Sox were able to claw their way back into Saturday's game only to have Kenley Jansen give up a walk-off home run in the, on the first pitch at the bottom of the ninth. You know, and then yesterday, being able to take a 3-2 lead on Turner's home run and then unable to hold the lead. And I think, you know, for the most part, this bullpen has been one of the strengths of this team. But, you know, losing the last two games has really kind of taken some of the wind out of your sails uh, particularly because you're, you know, chasing teams in the wild card, and you really need as many wins as you can get. So I think definitely frustrating because the way the Red Sox won that first game, you know, with Casas, a couple of big hits, taking the lead in Sunday's game, it was like, oh, okay, here's a huge chance that you take two out of three on the road. You continue the momentum get you a half game closer in the wild card chase. You know, if they win yesterday, it's a game and a half instead of two and a half, which is what it is today. So, you know, it's disappointing, but I think this team needs to turn the page quick because these next six games, I think, could define the season. I know I've been saying that for a couple of weeks in terms of like, okay, these next couple, but I do legitimately think these next six are huge. You know, obviously... You got Seattle, a team that's been playing better lately on the road. You know, a team that's chasing you and some other teams. So kind of a team that's as desperate as you are, you know. And then you got a huge series at home against Toronto, against a team that you've owned this season. So, you know, I think the Red Sox can take two out of three in this Seattle series sets up for a really important weekend against Toronto. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the Red Sox can get from the starting pitching and the offense, which kind of had issues over the weekend. Um, But I will say that, you know, San Francisco is a team that kind of builds their pitching around not giving up a lot of hard contact. And I think, you know, if you think about the way the game is played this day and age in the MLB, it's a lot about exit velocity and hard hit balls and things like that. And I think the Giants have kind of built their team that, okay, we want to get as many relievers and pitchers who don't, you know, give up a lot of hot, a lot of um, hard contact. And so I think the Red Sox... Obviously, a trouble with that this weekend. Very few hard-hit balls. Um, And so, you know, I think the offense does need to respond against Seattle uh, because I think, you know, again, it's a team that's as desperate as you are, maybe even more to make a playoff spot. So the offense needs to be on top of their game. Nick Pavetta is going tonight. So the Red Sox had been using him out of the bullpen as kind of a long reliever, but he does get a start tonight. Bayo goes tomorrow night, and then Cutter Crawford tomorrow after, or Wednesday afternoon, I should say. So, you know, it's a massive three-game set for the Red Sox. It's a pretty big series for Seattle as well, so I think it means a lot to both of these teams, these next three games. Um, I think in terms of the Red Sox and possibly getting healthier, you know, could be getting some guys back. It does sound like Reese McGuire will join the team in Seattle, and it does sound like Trevor Story should be able to return to the team this weekend. So, you know, obviously a tremendous opportunity to get him back into the lineup, get you another bat, someone that can completely, I think, shore up shortstop defensively so looking forward to his return Chris Sale um, I think could return the weekend after against Detroit but I think that's still a little bit up in the air but I think he will make a rehab start on Tuesday and then we'll 
make a rehab start over the weekend as well. So hopefully you can get him back, you know, but I think 56 and 49 is where this team stands and, you know, two and a half games back. And I think a lot of what's going to, a lot of what's going to happen next is going to be very interesting to see because I think as much as as much as some people I think want them to kind of just sell off and kind of just be like okay you're probably not going to compete you know I think that that's fair I don't think that that's the the craziest thing to say um, but I almost think that this is and this is something I've been thinking about today. It's kind of hard to explain, but I almost feel like it doesn't quite matter what they do with the trade deadline. And what I mean by that is you already have a lot of these young guys who are coming in, making an impact, and playing really well. You know, Duval or not Duval, Duran, Casas you know, Bayo, to name a few. And I think the guys that you do currently have, they're not, you know, preventing you from seeing what these young guys can do. And I think there's a way that you can give these guys playing time, more playing time, but continue to be comp- continue to be competitive and try to get a playoff spot. And so I think, you know, it's not a clear direction of, they're either going to be all the way sellers or all the way buyers. I think it's a little more nuanced than that because you look at where the team's at, two and a half games, they're in a position that they can improve the roster because you look at the Angels, and I know that they're kind of a little bit of a, in a different scenario, but look at how aggressive they're being, you know, and they're like way out of it, it seems like. So... I think the Red Sox could be fairly aggressive, but I think that I don't think it means that they're thinking that they're like World Series contenders, because I don't think they are. But I think there is a way that you can kind of do both things where you could sell a couple pieces, you could buy a couple pieces and, you know, still see what the young guys can do, still see what, you know, Sale and Story can do if they can kind of help you toward the end of the season. You know, and I think a lot of these guys that are on the roster that could be trade ships are going to be free agents anyway. So it's like, do they really have much of a bearing in the future? You know, I would say no. I mean, I know that on the other side of that, it's like, okay, well, if you know someone's not going to be with the team, you may as well get rid of them. I think that that's a fair point as well. So, you know, I think Duvall is probably, again, the most likely guy to get traded. Um, I think Philadelphia, Atlanta, a couple of teams that have shown interest in him. So he's a player, I think, pretty sure he's going to get traded. You know, I think Paxton's a guy that, you know, may have recently said that he wants to stick around. So I think some of the reporting is that the Red Sox would be open to moving him, but only if they get blown away in a trade package, which I think is probably the right approach that, okay, you want to see if you can use him down the stretch to get a playoff spot. But, you know, if you get a really good offer, you may not want to say no. So I think that that's probably the right way to approach it. You know, I do think that some of these guys on this team have kind of made it clear that they want the team to go out and buy and they want to compete. And I think that at least counts for something that the guys at least have enough awareness where it's like, okay, we have a chance. We want to try to compete. So, you know, that could go a long way in determining if they trade James Paxton or, you know, a Verdugo, someone like that. There has been a lot of steam that's picked up on Verdugo in the last 24 hours. So, you know, he's a hard case because I think that he's played a really good defensive right field this season. And I think it's been kind of one of your, I don't like, I don't want to say best players because I don't necessarily know if that's true, but I think he is really important to the team. 
you know, guys like him. And I think, you know, trading him could kind of be not a problem, but I think, you know, it would be a big move that I think could be a risk. Um, but I do think, you know, personally, I don't know if I want to give him a long-term deal um, because I think, yes, as good as he was for parts of the first half of the season, he's kind of been nowhere to be seen over the last couple of months. And I think he kind of is a streaky player and that's kind of what he's always been. And so I think if I'm the Red Sox and there's a deal that comes along, I may think about moving him because I just think you think about some of the other outfielders that they have that could work their way to Boston soon. And I just feel like Verdugo's a fine player. I'm never going to say that he's a bad player because that's not true. But I think at, at best case scenario, he's like a fringe all-star player. And I think it might just be better to move him, see what you can get, you know, and then kind of pave the way for some other guys to get looks in the outfield in the coming years. So I think, you know, that could, he's an interesting player, but I think it would make sense if they moved him. Um, you know, I can't see them moving a Turner or a Jansen as much as maybe some people would want them to. I just think that this team is too close to being, you know, a playoff team that it doesn't really make sense to completely sell off. Now, could you sell a couple pieces? Absolutely. And try to buy some pieces with those. I mean, who knows? Could Bobby Dahlbeck fetch a return with the way that he's hitting in AAA? You know, do you have some other, you know, lower level prospects that you could use to bring in, you know, an impact player? You know, but I do think if they're going to add, it's starting pitching. And I think, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez is someone, a name that's been brought up. And I think that would make a lot of sense, you know. And I think even just to get a starter with Sale coming back, you could have a pretty decent rotation where you're not looking to an opener two out of every five starts, you know. And I think to the Red Sox defense, some of the openers have been really good you know, kind of been what you would expect. But I think getting some guys who can eat innings could be really beneficial for this team uh, down the stretch. So we will obviously take a look at the standings later today. Uh, but Red Sox drop two out of three to the Giants, and they will play three against Seattle this week. And then they will return home for a weekend set against the Blue Jays in which the Red Sox are 7-0 against them. So it could be a pretty interesting series this weekend. So we'll see where they are at by then. Um, so I think we're going to move on, and we're going to go to talking about the Bruins. So just to get a couple of these things out of the way first, Bruins are in... Um, or were in arbitration with Jeremy Swayman over the weekend. I believe Trent Frederick has his hearing tomorrow. So teams could come to an agreement between now and then. I think Swayman's numbers were the team was offering him $2 million and then he wanted $4.8. Um, and I think usually how arbitration works is, you know, a player asks for kind of the most money that they're looking for and then the team kind of intentionally gives a lower number I think in a way that you can try to kind of come to a middle agreement so I think between those you know numbers it comes out to like 3.5 million so it does sound like the hearing is over I think there's I think it's 48 hours for it to get announced, I'm pretty sure. So we'll obviously keep you updated there. But I think, you know, it would be interesting to see what the numbers come out to be. You know, I think for Swayman, 3.5 is pretty fair. You know, I think for me, 3 or 3.5 is probably what I would give him because I think 
maybe not quite good enough to be a number one, but I do think with some more seasoning, he could get there. And I think, you know, and this is something Ty Anderson has said multitude of times. This is a team that I think with the lack of depth at center, you know, you this team is going to be built more on goaltending and defense this season. And so I think getting your two elite goaltenders back is huge. And then you got your defense core, which I think is one of the best in the league. And I think if that's your foundation, that's a pretty good start. And I think even if the offense is going to struggle this season with scoring goals, which they probably will, you're going to be able to win a lot of low-scoring games. And I think as much as the NHL is built on, you know, speed, skill, scoring goals, you can still get pretty far with elite goaltending and elite defense. You know, the Bruins, no, they're not going to be scoring the amount of goals that they were scoring last year, but there's still a there's still a place for teams that have good goaltending and good defense and okay scoring. I mean, look at the New York Islanders. They've done pretty well over the last couple of years, you know, making some playoff runs and just kind of being a good, you know, tough to play against team. Now they've not always been in the playoffs, but I think, you know, look, if the Bruins have to play like this for one season, that's fine. You know, and then next summer, you think about spending money to bring in, you know, a top line center. But I think if, if this is going to be what it's going to be this season, so be it. Still think they're good enough to be a playoff team. But, you know, we'll see. And then as far as Frederick, I believe that the team's offer was $1.4 I think that the player it was like 2.8 or 2.9. So there could be something in between there, uh, which may come out to a little bit over $2 million, which is fine with me. You know, I think Freddie's a good player, really kind of showed out this past season. I think that it's hard to know if the 17 goals, you know, are something that he can hit again. But I think playing with or having Montgomery be there as a coach kind of got more out of him. So I would think that he's still capable of scoring you know, 30 to 35 points if it's, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 goals a season. I think he's capable of doing that. So, you know, it'll be interesting what his numbers come out to be. But, you know, I think with the Bruins having five and a half million, I want to say, um, you know, so you hope you can get those two guys signed. And then, you know, that's probably going to be your team. I can't imagine that David Krejci is going to come back, especially after the news that came out last week. So, you know, I think the team is going to be what it's going to be, but I still think they're good enough to be a playoff team. So now we're going to get to the hard part, the part that uh, I kind of have been, you know, unsure how I want to address this. Um, you know, since the news came down that Patrice Bergeron um, has announced his retirement uh, from the NHL and from the Bruins. And, you know, I think whatever day it was last week was uh, really emotional. Um, and I think, you know, knowing that something like this was going to be a possibility, um, you know, is was, was hard because I think, you know, it means so much to the Bruins and the organization and the community and the city and, you know, I think is everything you would want in a leader. You know, hasn't always been the captain, was the captain for the last three seasons, I think. But, you know, really is one of kind of the poster children of the Bruins' great leadership over the last, you know, 15 plus years, whatever it is. Um, and I think this, this team, this organization, and this fan base has been incredibly lucky to, you know, have a guy here that just kind of exudes leadership. And, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like we as Bruins fans took for granted for so long because of the great leadership that he showed and 
you know, Chara and, and Marshan and all these guys, that we've been lucky. Leadership's never been much of a, an issue with this team. And I don't think it will be for the foreseeable future. I think because of the the mark that Patrice left on this team and the organization. So, you know, I think I'm surprised that he chose to retire, but, you know, it's hard to know. You know, I think as, as someone that, someone like Patrice that has now, you know, four young children, it's hard to know because I think you want to be able to spend time with your family. And, you know, I think as much as he was playing probably the best, some of the best hockey of his career, you know, it's hockey is a game. And I think sports is kind of can be cruel that you can, you know, feel like you can play more, but, you know, hockey is a sport that you're one dangerous injury away from, you know, just being in a place where, you know, you want to be able to walk away where, you know, you still have the ability to do the normal things that, that, that you do. And I think just running the risk of playing another year and, you know, a debilitating injury happening, I think, could have been part of the decision-making, but, you know, who's to say, I think. Only the players know when it's time to step away, and, you know, I think Patrice has done so much for the team and the organization that I think he deserves, I don't want to say benefit of the doubt, because that's might not be the right thing to say, but, you know, whatever his reasons are, are his reasons. And we have to respect it. You know, we can sit here and speculate what those reasons were, but, you know, I think it just is tremendous, the the things that he accomplished here. And, you know, certainly he was a first ballot Hall of Famer and I think one of the greatest players in the history of the franchise. You know, where he is in terms of statistics with this team all time, games, points, goals, assists, you know, things like that. So, yeah, soon he'll get his number retired. It probably will be in the next couple of years. Um, and so I think, man, I mean, what, what can you say about, about this guy? I think just is just like the perfect example of what you want a hockey player to be. And it's not all about statistics. It's not all about winning championships. It's not all about numbers, but it's, you know, the, the way that you play the game and the way that your opponents respect you and your teammates respect you and your teammates will go to battle for you. And I think, you know, the, the greatest mark that, for me, I think the greatest example you can leave as a hockey player is, you know, the, the respect of your peers. Because I think hockey is a sport that it's such a team sport that you, you know, sacrifice so much, you sacrifice so much for each other. And I think it was, you know, obvious to see in some of those videos that the guys, you know, really have a, a, a bond with, with Patrice. And I think that you know, that's the biggest thing for me that I think the players know how important those relationships are. And I think that that's his legacy to me is what he meant to his teammates. You know, that his teammates would, would go to war for him. His teammates respected him, you know, and loved him. And I think that's the best legacy you can leave um, as a hockey player. So... You know, I think it'll be interesting to see what Patrice does in, in his post-hockey career. But I hope, you know, for the time being, he can take t take time to, you know, be with his family and, you know, enjoy kind of the next chapter of life. So, um, man, I mean, it's, it's hard to sit here and kind of, you know, take 10 minutes to, you know, sum up what he meant to, to me personally as a Bruins fan, but man, I just like you think about all the big moments in recent Bruins history, he's pretty much behind all of them. 
you know, you think about the, the Game 7 goal against the Maple Leafs in 2013, a game that I'm not ashamed to admit I personally gave up on that game. You know, I didn't think that they were coming back. I pretty much gave up, and I think he's a guy that just never quit, you know, and would play through anything. You know, as evidenced by that 2013, you know, cup final. You know, you think about all the, like, huge overtime goals that he scored, all the, you know, big goals that he scored, none bigger than the first goal in the, the 2011 cup final. You know, I think all the, the milestones that he hit and, yeah, I mean, if you just think about all the big goals that have been scored in the history of this team over, you know, throughout his career, and he's kind of at the forefront in all of those. So, you know, I think, yeah, there's not a lot more for me to say, but, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, owe Patrice a lot for, you know, what he, what he did for us as, as fans of the team. And, you know, unlike some other programs, I'm not going to sit here and diminish his entire career's accomplishments because two or three players in his generation might be more accomplished than him. That doesn't matter. I mean, honestly, who really cares? You know, if, if you're interested in that, I think you're only interested in, you know, like, I don't know. I really don't want to get into it, but it's just like there's been way, way too much kind of negative reaction to this and way too much, you know, looking at people's careers and looking at their accomplishments and things like that. And it's just like, that's not what this is about, guys. You know, like it doesn't always need to be about narratives. It doesn't always need to be like that cut and dried. It can just be that you want to celebrate someone that meant a lot to a team and an organization. So what if he didn't win three Stanley Cups? You know, so what if he didn't lead the league in scoring? Like, at the end of the day, does that really matter? You know, and it's like, if it really matters, then it's like, I don't know, what do you watch sports for? I don't, I don't know. It's just, it just seems silly to me, all the, all this debate about where he is all time and it's just like does it really matter well, I don't know so that's all I'm going to say about that but congratulations to Patrice and you know we all wish him well for the next uh, chapter um, in his life and yeah we hope that you know we see him back involved with the Bruins at some point and even if it's alumni events and you know, being celebrated and things like that, have my own opinions about him, you know, running the team one day. But, you know, I think, you know, I hope to see plenty of him in the next couple of years. You know, we'll obviously be waiting for whenever that jersey retirement's going to be. That's going to be one heck of an emotional night, that's for sure. Um, so I think we're going to move on, talk a little bit about some Celtic stuff, obviously, the same day that Bergeron announced his retirement, Jalen Brown uh, coming to terms on his Supermax extension, making him the, uh, I think, I think the richest contract in NBA history at the moment. That is absolutely going to change. I'll tell you one thing. So anyone complaining that, oh, he's shouldn't be the highest paid player, well, not going to be the highest paid player for much longer, I don't think. So, you know, good that the Celtics got this done. Really wasn't concerned at all. You know, I think that things like this take time. Negotiations take time. And I think Jalen being as involved in the NBA as he, as he is, you know, had some previous things that, you know, required his attention. So not worried that... I really was never worried that they weren't going to come to an agreement, but I think it's a good deal. I think keeps him here, and I think he wants to be here. Made that very clear um, in his press conference, you know, that he wants to invest in Boston and, you know, do his best to leave a mark on the city and, the, and his organization. So, 
you know, really happy that he's here, I think. You know. Yeah, I mean, there's not, there's not a whole lot to analyze here, but I think it was the right move. You know, I think having your two all-NBA superstars locked up for the next couple of years is huge. You know, Jason Tatum will get his extension done, I think, next summer. So you'll have these guys here for the for the time being. And I think it gives you a lot of confidence that, okay, you know, this is what it's going to be. And I think, you know, Jalen probably knows this, you know, and he said some great things about Marcus Smart, but I think he and Jason know that this is really their team now, you know, and it's really kind of their opportunity to be the leaders and be the guys that push everyone on the team. Um, and I think, you know, I think Jalen saying some of the things about he and Marcus's relationship that, you know, they were like brothers, went through hell, you know, and were together through it all. But I think, you know, you hope that Marcus kind of installed some of that, you know, leadership onto Jalen and Jason that, you know, kind of a passing of the torch type of thing. Um, but I think just all in all, great to see Jalen here for the time being. You know, obviously, no player option, I think, was significant to me because that means, at least in my opinion, that he's invested and committed to being here long term. Um, I think there's something about the, like a trade kicker, which maybe makes it more difficult for him to, him to be traded. I'm not sure the exact... Uh, word wording on that but I think great to get it done and the Celtics can you know get to work although it is interesting that you know kind of moving into more of a roster thought about this team they do have I think at the moment they do have an open roster spot or two so could go to a, kind of an older veteran still looking for a job because uh, there are quite a few talented guys that still do not have a team. So the Celtics, you know, could bring in someone like that. Blake Griffin, you know, could also be brought back. I think I would really like that because uh, I really liked what he brought to the team last year. So, you know, just something to watch, I think, is we get closer to training camp, which I think is at some point in this in September. So be interesting to see kind of what goes on there. Um, so I think... It's probably going to do it for talking about the Celtics. You know, really not a whole lot of information, you know, other than Jalen coming to an agreement on that uh, Supermax extension. I think it's a great thing for the Celtics. You know, I think anytime you have an opportunity to kind of lock in one of your best players, you do it. Really should not have been a lot of overthinking here. And I think... You know, yeah, yet again, he's not going to be the highest paid player for much longer, you know. And it's like, by the way, it doesn't, like, mean that, oh, the Celtics think he's the best player in the league. It's like, it's just how how the, how the money works in the league now. And it's just, that's kind of the going rate for superstar players. So, you know, hope that Jalen can continue to kind of build off of uh, what he's built so far in Boston, in the community, and also on the court as well. So I think we're going to get to a little revolution update for you folks. Uh, the revolution advanced in the League's Cup thanks to a 5-1 win against San Luis last week. They won 5-1, to Giacomo Vrioni, with his first trick with the revolution so revs dominated in this one five to one um, they advanced to the uh, round of 32 for the league's cup i believe that that matchup is on thursday against one of the mexican league teams not remembering which team it is but revs will advance to play that thursday night obviously mls competition does not start again until August. Um, so there also was some news that the Revolution got an offer from Nottingham Forest, which I believe was a Premier League team this past season or the season before. Um, and apparently they had made an offer to uh, George A. Petrovich, uh, which I think the Revolution 
denied the offer or something like that. But, you know, it is worthwhile that, you know, he's getting offers already, you know, from a, you know, pretty, a team from a top flight league. So something to definitely keep your eye on uh, the rest of the season. So just thought that that was significant. So I think we're going to get to some notes from around all this, all the sports. Um, so we'll start with some baseball. As I mentioned, the Angels are very, very active after they had, actually, this is kind of funny. So uh, toward the end of Guest Friday last week, Evan and I were talking about Shohei Otani just to kind of kill some time at the end. Um, and we were discussing, you know, where does he get traded to? Not uh, an hour after we're done recording, watching the Red Sox Braves and they're announcing that the Angels are not trading him. So it was like, uh, of course. So the Angels being, you know, very active last week, getting Lucas Giolito from the White Sox and then getting a couple players from the Rockies yesterday, CJ Cron and Randall Grychuk. So the Angels are very clearly going for it here. Um, also some other trades that have that have happened over the weekend. The Mets sending Max Scherzer to the Rangers. And the Rangers also got Jordan Montgomery yesterday. It was, uh, I think, a, a rumored Red Sox target. Um, and, yeah, we'll take a look at the standings. So, first, the, the wild card standings. The Angels, previously mentioned Angels, uh, four games back of the wild card of the final wild card spot. Mariners are at four and a half, who the Red Sox will play uh, tonight, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Yankees are three and a half back, and the Red Sox two and a half back. Tampa Bay holds the top position with Toronto and Houston holding the second and the third spot. In the National League, the Giants, the Brewers, and the Marlins hold the three wildcard spots with the Phillies a half game back, Diamondbacks one game back, and the Cubs three and a half back. So as far as the division standings, Baltimore has now overtaken Tampa Bay for first in the American League East. They lead the division by one and a half games. The Twins lead the Central by a half game over the Guardians. The Rangers lead the West by one game over the Astros. The Braves, with the best record in baseball, lead their division by 11 and a half games. The Reds are in first in the Central in the National League, half game up on the Brewers. And the Dodgers, two games up on the Giants in the National League West. So we'll get to some NFL notes. Worth noting that the Hall of Fame game between the Jets and the Browns is Thursday night on NBC. It's the first preseason game for football. Not exactly a football that I like tuning into, but if you're into that sort of thing and you're starved for football, you can definitely tune into this on uh, NBC Thursday night. So take a look at some notes. The Vikings and Daniel Hunter entering or ending their conflict with a new contract and some uh, words being traded between uh, Aaron Rodgers um, and Sean Payton after Sean Payton had said uh, some interesting things in an interview um, about the Jets offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett who was the head coach for the Broncos last season and Aaron Rodgers kind of came back at him with uh, some interesting comments so the Jets and the Broncos play each other week five of the NFL season. So that will be kind of interesting to see what happens there. So just some other notes. Joe Burrow was carted off of Bengals practice the other day with a calf injury. Doesn't seem like it's going to be season ending, although he could miss a good amount of weeks. Jalen Ramsey also suffered a torn meniscus for the Dolphins earlier this week. 
so he will miss a large portion of the season, may not return until December. So just quickly get through some NBA notes. Uh, Thanasis Antetokounmpo agreeing to terms with the Bucks on a new contract. Um, and thought this was interesting. So with Damian Lillard and his agent, I think previously making some comments or kind of making it known that he might be unhappy if he gets traded anywhere other than Miami. The league uh, sent out a memo the other day that uh, Lillard and his agent could potentially be uh, disciplined if, you know, comments like that continue. So I don't know, never, never seen something like that before. Um, but I just, it's a little weird to me. You know, I think that, yes, it's clear that Lillard wants to be traded, but it just seems strange to publicly declare that you just want to be moved to one team. I don't know. It's just a strange thing. And I just feel like, you know, I, I understand that maybe he's, you know, deserves to be able to request a trade, but it just, it's just strange. I don't think I've ever seen a, a situation quite like this. So it'll be interesting to see you know, what happens, you know, if there's something that happens over the next couple of months before the regular season starts. I know that James Harden, just to kind of switch gears, is kind of intent on joining the Clippers, you know, so not sure if that's going to be happening anytime soon, but I think both players worth watching um, over the next couple of months before the season starts. Um, if either of them get moved. So we'll take a quick look at some NHL news. Vladimir Tarasenko signing a one-year deal with the Senators. Sebastian Ajo getting a new deal with Carolina. So I think possibly a free agent next summer, but obviously will not be with the new contract. So we're going to get to some Women's World Cup. Team USA will take on uh, Portugal tomorrow morning at 3 a.m. in their final uh, group stage match. So Team USA currently is atop of Group E with a goal differential tiebreaker. So I do think that, I think with a win or a draw, they will advance to the knockout stage. A loss could potentially knock them out, um, depending on the result of the Netherlands-Vietnam game. So again, that game this morning, or tomorrow morning at 3 a.m. If you're up for uh, getting up super early uh, to watch that. Six teams have already advanced uh, to the knockout stage. Switzerland and Norway out of Group A. Australia and Nigeria out of Group B, and then Japan and Spain out of Group C. So again, Team USA, Portugal, 3 a.m. tomorrow morning. I believe that the knockout stage will probably start at some point this weekend. Uh, hopefully those times are a little bit more reasonable. Um, so I think that's probably going to do it for me, although we're going to try kind of a different segment here. I've been uh, thinking about trying to introduce different segments to the show to kind of make it a little more interesting. So we're going to do a segment here called Happy Trails. Um, so I'm kind of going to toy around with different segments at the end. may not always be the same segment, uh, but today, Happy Trails to uh, Sony Michelle, who announced his retirement over the weekend from the NFL two-time Super Bowl champion, including one with the Patriots, his rookie season. Pretty integral part to the Patriots' success. He also won a Super Bowl with the Rams in 2021. So, you know, yeah, a lot of, a lot of conversation about him on uh, social media recently. Um, but, you know... Maybe not worth a first-round pick, but 
you know, had a decent run in his time with the Patriots, winning a Super Bowl, and was pretty important to Patriots 2018 championship. So uh, happy trails to Sony. And, you know, I think just kind of mentioned this when we're talking about Patrice Bergeron, but I don't know. I feel like I wish people could appreciate athletes a little bit more, you know, and not be so concerned about whether a player is a quote-unquote, you know, first-round bust or whatever, which is not true. Sonny Michel's not a bust. You know, he had a couple seasons with nearly a 1,000 yards rushing. You know, so what if he played five seasons or whatever? That's still a pretty good career. So, you know, whatever. People are going to say whatever they're going to say for ratings or engagement or clicks or whatever. But, you know, um, the, the man won a Super Bowl was part of winning a Super Bowl here in New England. Had six touchdowns during that playoff run. So it's like, yeah, he was pretty important to that team. You know, I guess you can say, oh, well, anyone could have done it. Okay, well, anyone can do anything. Like, I don't I don't know what that are. I don't know what that does. Uh, but anyway, happy trails to Sony. Still have uh, his jersey in my closet. So uh, good stuff from him. So yeah, we'll be doing kind of little segments at the end of some programs in the next couple of weeks. So something to look forward to, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's going to do it for me. We'll be back with you folks on Friday and uh, have a great rest of your week.